The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everyone? And here we are on this Sunday, February 18th, 2024, on WGBB Sports Talk New York, coming to you live from Merritt, New York, on 1240 AM and 95.9 FM on the dial. I'm Andy Sukoff, and it might take me a minute to remember how to do this. It's, it's been a while since we since we all got together and started talking. How's everybody doing tonight? Uh, of course, before I start, i got to give a shout-out to my man, Brian Gray, behind the glass. Brian, how we doing? We have the double thumbs up today. Double thumbs up means we're, we're having a good day. We're, we're having a good day. Uh, before we begin, uh, just make sure you can follow WGBB Sports Talk on Twitter at WGBB Sports Talk. Uh, you can find the podcast on Apple T- Apple Music, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. Make sure you're listening to them because we want you listening. We want you talking about this. I I, I know that February is a is a bit of a tough time, especially after the Super Bowl. You know, last last week we all had that one thing we're all talking about. 50% of the country is all watching the same thing. We're all watching we're all watching Ludacris come out at halftime to sing yeah with Lil John and Usher. Oh and yeah, you know that that football game that was also played in Las Vegas on Sunday night. Which was a great game. Uh Chiefs again winning the Super Bowl, winning their third in 5 years, second in a row, looking mighty close to being like a Patriots dynasty and Maybe it's just because I'm a little bit further removed from it because the Chiefs don't play in the Jets division. I'm less upset about this. While I was rooting for the 49ers because I just I find them more likable, the, the Chiefs winning over and over again hasn't bothered me yet. Maybe if they win four in a row, maybe then I'm going to get a little bit annoyed. But until then, congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs and, and Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, the whole the whole team, and of course, you know, prayers go out to all those impacted by the shooting in Kansas City during the Super Bowl parade. Like, like I said, like this kind of period between post Super Bowl and pre March Madness is very difficult to talk about because there's nothing. You know, you have regular season hockey, you have regular season basketball, but that's really not that big. It doesn't have like much juice to it. Those don't really get traction until the playoffs. Baseball teams are just starting to report the spring training. There's there's players out there wearing number ninety two that year. Like who who is this guy? But the NHL did do something today and this over the weekend that really did draw good numbers. At the stadium series at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey, uh, the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia Flyers. Played to a crowd of 70,000 last night. And then the New York Rangers and New York Islanders today. It what became, wound up being a very wild game that I, I'm sitting there watching it going, I have no idea what's about to happen next. I have no idea how any of this is happening, but 80,000 people got to watch a thrilling 6-5 overtime win by the New York Rangers, giving them their seventh straight win. And what, like I said, watching that game, I was so confused. Because early on in this game, the Rangers did what they do best. 
right when you think they had the momentum and they they got it quick because they scored a goal right out of the gate. Eric Gustafson absolutely snipes one past Ilya Sorokin to give the Rangers the early one nothing lead. And then as soon as Matt Martin and Rempe fight right after that, the Islanders just go off on a tear. And in typical Ranger fashion, they don't respond well when that happens. When they get smacked in the mouth, it takes them a minute to figure to figure things out. Unfortunately, they gave up three goals in three minutes, and that I, I, I've been looking at Igor Shosturkin this year, and I'm a, I'm a big Shosturkin fan. I I really like the way he plays, and he won the Vezina Trophy two seasons ago. You know, just following along the lines of great Rangers goalies, but th- this year's been a little bit different. He's he's been shaky. He's been giving up goals that he doesn't give up, and those two goals that he gave up to Horvat and Barzell should never have happened. Like those, Igor should make those saves ten times out of ten, and he should be able to do that with his eyes closed. So the fact that 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 happened it gave me some pause. I actually went into the game like thinking that the Islanders were going to win this game anyway, because the Rangers don't play the Islanders very well. And they haven't for a very long time. The Rangers are, were on a six-game win streak. Figured, okay, you know they're they're due they're due a clunker, and this one certainly was for about fifty-seven minutes. Uh, the the Islanders are playing the Rangers for the first time this season. So you haven't seen the team yet, so you haven't seen how they play except on game tape, which it, it's a little different than watching it in real time. And the Islanders had made a coaching change. Patrick Wad now in his ninth game behind the Islander bench after firing Lane Lambert. We, we're we looking at we're looking at a Rangers team that this was ripe for a letdown game. And when Igor gives up three goals in three minutes, you're thinking, okay, this is kind of what I was thinking about. This is a guy who got a shutout on Monday against, Cal- against Calgary. And then he's... A couple days later, they they probably should have played him on Thursday against Montreal instead of Jonathan Quick. Though Quick won, it was not exactly a uh, you know a comfortable game. You know the, the Canadians scored four goals on him, the Rangers scored seven, which is nice because you definitely like to see when the Rangers put up big numbers like that. But maybe Igor should have played that game so he didn't have six days off between the game against Calgary and the game today against the Islanders. I understand you want to get quick time in, and he has been playing very well of late. But when you're trying to get your number one goalie back on track, especially when you're two months away from the playoffs, and you need him at the top of his game, you need to get him out there as often as possible, playing against as many different teams as you can, so that way you can you can get him focused and get him back on track. So... I, I think they should have started him against Montreal and then and then have quick start the next game after tonight against against the Islanders. That's just me. I'm not the head coach. I'm not Benoit Allaire. I'm not Peter Laviolette. It like so my opinion means nothing. And of course, if anybody wants to talk about this game or spring training or the NBA or anything that you might want to speak about. Hit us up. The lines are open, 516-623-1240. I want to hear from you because that that's what makes this fun for me. And I, I do have to give a lot of credit to the Rangers because I, I I was watching this game. I I kind of wanted to turn it off. I was I was with I was, I was talking to a friend. We, we're watching, and he's 
he's he's more he's more concerned about his bets hitting, and I'm I I didn't put anything down on that because I I learned a very long time ago, don't bet on your own teams because it just doubles the misery. Because if your bet loses and then they lose too, you're just like ugh, I, I they cost me money and they lost. If they win but your bet loses, like oh I could if I would have picked something differently I would have won and it would have been great. But no, so I I learned don't bet on your own teams. Just I, I won't do it. So it's a lot more fun for me to watch it when the Rangers start to fight back in the third period. They they get it back to four three. Uh, you know they're they're looking better, and I said as long as they can keep it here, they'll have a chance in the third period. Unfortunately, what do the Rangers do best? They give up goals in the first and last minute of periods, and it's without fail that they do it every game, no matter who's coaching, no matter who's on the ice, who's in goal. It doesn't matter. The Rangers will always give up a goal in the first two minutes or the last two minutes of a period. It seems like it happens every game, and I can't figure out why that continues to happen. So, of course, the Islanders score early in the third period to take a two-goal lead once again. And I'm thinking, okay, like that, that's it. The Rangers are not coming back from this one. Islanders win. Good for them. And the Rangers will have been lost their first ever outdoor game. They, they were undefeated in outdoor games coming into today as they had won the two winter classics they played in 2012 and 2018 and then won the two stadium series games in 2014 when they played the Islanders and the Devils at the Yankee Stadium. So they were playing in their fifth outdoor game. They they were 4-0. And I got to give Peter Laviolette some credit here. I wasn't expecting this. He pulls Igor Shesterkin with about four minutes to go when, they're, when the Rangers are attacking in the Islanders' zone. And Kreider gets a tip in, gets the gets the Rangers back within one with about f- four minutes to go. It's like okay, like they they got they got a shot here. And one of the people I was watching the game with it said the Islanders are very keen on blowing leads. And I, it's kind of like you know when you hear about like the unstoppable force means the immovable object. Uh, this is kind of one of those like reverse situations where, you know. The, the Rangers had, coming into today, eight comeback wins in the third period, but they're also prone to those letdowns, especially against the Islanders, where they haven't played well against them over the last however many years. So it, it's kind of which which force is going to be stronger. And the question was answered about two minutes later when Mika Zibanejad ties the game on the power play from his favorite spot, the Ovechkin circle, he loves that left side. Maybe it's just a right-handed shooter thing, where you just wind up from that from the left side and and push it over the goalie's shoulder. It it looks perfect when it when it works. In this case, and this is good for me because advantage out. He needed a game like this where he he got on the board, starting to put some points back together. And if he, if he can get hot going down into the home stretch of the season, that is going to be huge for this Rangers team because they need him. He has been very up and down this year and a lot more down. You know, hockey season has its peaks and valleys just like any other sport. But right now it looks like Mika Zibanejad have been in Mariana's trench for a little bit. So it's really nice to see him get back on the score sheet. Love that. Gets to overtime. And I saw this stat a minute ago uh, before just before I started with Artemi Panarin's goal in overtime, which I – like I'm glad that they ruled that a good goal as, as Dobson kind of kicked the net out as Panarin was shooting, and you see the puck trickle across the line as the 
as the net is coming off the moorings and sliding away. Uh, the reason they gave it a goal was the fact that he was already in the process of shooting, kind of like a shooting foul in the NBA, where as long as you're in the process of putting the shot up, it's going to be a shooting foul, and you're going to get free throws. So Panarin already in the process of shooting. Rangers win. Yay, two points. Big win for them. But he scored at the, with 10, sec, 10 seconds into overtime. Only two other people have scored a goal for the Rangers quicker in overtime. Uh, one was Tony Amante, and I believe the other one was Kent Nielsen. Uh, and they both had scored eight seconds in overtime. And those are the three fastest goals in overtime in Rangers history. So, congratulations to our time Van Aaron for scoring a goal really fast and getting everybody out of there. The sun was going down. It was probably starting to get cold. And I'm sure everybody in the stands, after having a moment of delirium, like, okay, Rangers won, yay, good. Okay, we need to get we need to get out of here because we're going to sit in traffic. And I have to give the NHL a ton of credit here that they were able to fill that stadium twice in two days. And it wasn't even for the Jets. It wasn't for the Giants. It was for the New Jersey Devils and the Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Rangers and the New York Islanders. And that just really goes to show you the NHL has a great fan base and that they, that they will fill out football stadiums. I, I, next year, the Red Wings and the Blue Jackets are playing a game at Ohio State, and that's a 100,000-plus seat stadium, and they're going to fill it out because people love hockey. Unfortunately, it doesn't get the coverage that basketball and football does, and that's and that's a shame. Because if, I really believe if more people watched hockey, they would come to enjoy it. And th- there's a reason why the NHL is a distant fourth of the big four sports behind the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball. Because people just don't watch. They don't find it interesting. And that and that's fine. I, under- I understand that it's not for everybody. But I also believe that if more people gave it a chance, they would enjoy it. Kind of like how, you know, soccer is the most watched, soccer and cricket are the most watched sports in the world. But do you hear, you don't hear people in the U.S. talking about, you know, the cricket test match they watched yesterday because nobody watches cricket here. I, I, I saw it at work the other day and I, I'm trying to figure out the rules as I'm going and all I know is that I didn't get it. And it looked like they were throwing the ball really hard. And, like, all I know is that I'm striking out because I am not touching that ball. One of the things I did see from this game, and this was concerning to me, and if I'm looking at the Rangers, the Islanders absolutely dominated them in faceoffs. It was something like 68% to 32 in favor of the Islanders winning faceoffs. And the Rangers have been much better at winning faceoffs this year. So seeing that, makes you go, oh, that's uh, that's not good. But like, like I said, uh, that was the Rangers' ninth comeback win in the third period this season, which I believe is tops in the NHL. That That's that's a good thing for a first-place team, and that's a reason why they're in first place, because they know that they're not out of any game. That, okay, we're down two goals in the third period, that's fine. We'll take care of it. We'll be good. We got this. We're going to win. And I, I do like that never-quit attitude. That's that's something that will really help them, 
you know, down the later stretch of the season when they're playing the teams that they're going to wind up meeting in the playoffs, playing Carolina, playing Pittsburgh, playing the Islanders, playing the Lightning or the Panthers, the Boston Bruins or the Maple Leafs, teams that they're going to see in May and June, it's should they make it there. And, you know, if you are in training, you're, you're hoping that they can make it there. Is a, they have, they have a, the possibility of doing that because they have a, a really good core with two good goalies that should be able to make noise in the playoffs. It's just a matter of will they do it. They still have holes to fill out. You know, with the injuries to Blake Wheeler and Philip Heedle, they, they need forwards. They need, they need a top six guy. I'm not saying it's Wayne Gretzky's going to be walking through the door, but you need somebody who's going to be able to put up some points, and you need somebody who's going to win faceoffs on the third line. You know, Heedle was going to be that guy, and unfortunately concussions just said, no, nah, that's not happening, and uh, Wheeler hurts his leg this week, and he's out for the season, which is maybe not in the production aspect, but in terms of what he, the intangibles he brings to the roster, that's that's a that's a big loss. So now you have two holes to fill, and you have very little cap room to do it. So I, I'm curious to see what general manager Chris Drury does here in leading up to the trade deadline. Of course, if you want to, want to talk about it, hit us up, 516-623-1240. want to hear from you. Uh, like I said, the Rangers are still in first place in the Metro, and this was, this was a game they should have lost. Like I, 100%. You go down 4-1, Early in the second period, generally you're not coming back from a three goal lead. I know they say the three goal lead and the two goal lead are two of the most dangerous leads in hockey to have. You know what? I'd rather have it than be trying to come back from it. Because at least if you have it, you have, you have some cushion. You don't want to play too lax, but you have, you have that ability. Like let's say you do mess up and you give up one. You, you still got two more you can work with. Uh, Patrick Waugh, now 3-3-3 three, three, and three in his debut as the Islanders head coach. Nice, nice even numbers on each side. Yeah, like, he, the, I guess it looks better that way when you see 3-3-3 three, three, and, three and not just 3-6 and six because you lost three overtime games. Uh, that would look a lot worse. And this is an Islanders team that was playing really well at the beginning of the season. So I'm, I'm very surprised to see how they've fallen off. You know, in December and January. And that led to the firing of their head coach, Lane Lambert, and bringing on Patrick Watt to finish out the season. Uh, I, I know I might be in the minority on this one. I love the outdoor games. I want to see more of them. I, I, I know some people might say, like, oh, just do the Winter Classic and then you don't have to do the Stadium Series ones. No, I disagree. I think the Stadium Series are fun. You know, it, it brings... It brings hockey to venues that generally wouldn't have them. Like, who, who doesn't enjoy seeing a, a hockey game at Fenway Park? I mean, they've done, they've done the bean pot there before. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've seen games at, you know, three versus, uh, not three versus, uh, Heinz Field. Uh, I would, I would love to see one at PNC Park. I don't think they're going to do that because they would just go back to Heinz Field. Uh, you know, where, we're seeing more. We saw the Winter Classic in Seattle this year, and how much fun that was. I, I would love not that it would ever happen, because it's an outdoor stadium in the middle of the desert, and this is just me. I would love to see the Coyotes get one at Sun Devil Stadium. I, again, 
I know that's not happening. They would do it at Chase Field because you at least have the dome that you would have to open up, and you could probably logistically make the ice not be totally garbage in a, in a dome stadium. If that's the case, you might as well just play in your normal arena. But to me, seeing an outdoor game, it, it, it's fun. It's different rather than seeing you know the, the same boards, the same lights. You know, like you, you mix it up, and that, to me, that's that, that's what that's what that's what makes it fun. That you get you get to see places that normally wouldn't have a hockey game, and you get to see how many people are gonna pack out that stadium. When when you when you have eighty thousand fans screaming, "Let's go Rangers! Let's go Islanders!" That's what you want. To, is the to compare, Madison Square Garden holds eighteen thousand. MetLife Stadium holds 80. So you're talking about almost five times as many people converging on this game. I can only imagine, like, while watching on TV, I it, it amazed me how loud it was. I can only imagine how loud it was at the stadium. And I, I have some, I know people who went to the game, so when I speak to them tomorrow, I'm going to ask, and especially I, I want to know when, when Zibanejad tied the game, I want to know how loud it was. Where, like, did you even hear anything afterwards? Uh, you know, when Panarin scored, what, like, what was going down in the stands? So, Gary Bettman, I don't necessarily like you, but I like that you did this. And I want you to keep doing that. I really hope you do. Uh, you know, we're looking, we're looking maybe like 25 games left in the season. You know, it's now going to get to a mad dash to the finish. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna see teams start to make start to make trades so that way they can gear up for the playoff run. We've, we're already starting to see some moves in the Western Conference as Elias Lindholm was sent to the Vancouver Canucks, and that that that's a that's a big move for Vancouver, who's already number one in the league. And they bring in a guy like Lindholm, who is a fantastic player. He's gonna he's gonna be huge. I I, I want to see what the Rangers wind up doing, as they they like I said a couple minutes ago, they need forwards, and there are, there are some out there that are available. Uh, one of the ones that I would be intrigued by, and I've gotten some pushback on this from people that I've said it to, is Adam Henrique from the Anaheim Ducks. You know, he's not gonna cost you a lot of a lot of draft capital. He's an expiring contract, so Anaheim might even offer to take some of it back, so that way then it could work within the cap. Uh, and he's he'd be a good third line center who can who can make plays, can put the puck in the net a little bit, and he'll, he'll win faceoffs for you. That's somebody who can replace Blake Wheeler, and I think that might be why where they wind up doing, because this team still while. It is good. Teams are always looking to improve themselves, whether it's bringing up somebody from the minor leagues, whether it's making a trade, you know, switching the lineups around and seeing what other combinations work. There's always something that can be done to improve the roster. And now with the injuries starting to pile up a little bit, now's, now's the time to make a move. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that happens. 
Also want to give a shout-out to UBS Arena as they will be hosting the 2026 All-Star Game, as was announced today during the stadium series. Uh, I'm kind of curious how that's going to go down as the All-Star Game will be right around the Olympics. And since it's been announced that the NHL players are going back to the Olympics, it'll be very interesting to see like, how many players actually play in the All-Star Game, knowing that the Olympics are right around the corner and... You know, if they get hurt during the All-Star game and it messes up their chances of playing for their country in the Olympics, I think some some players are going to take pause to that. But that being said, I, I love the fact that the NHL players are going back to the Olympics. They never should have left. Uh, the last time they played in the Olympics was in 2014. So after 12 years in three Olympics, they're back. And I love it. And I, I am of the belief that the United States has a very, very good chance of winning the gold medal in 2026. I know we're still two years away from that, but it's it's exciting to think about, especially given the fact that all these young players that have been coming up over the last five, six, seven years are all going to be in their primes. Guys like Austin Matthews, the Hughes brothers, all three of them are going to be in their primes, ready to go. Adam Fox, Charlie McAvoy, Cole Caulfield. These are all players who are going to be contributing on NHL rosters and already have been contributing on NHL rosters for years. Uh, Brock Besser, the Kachuk brothers, these are all players who have already made a huge impact in the NHL and now put them all together on the United States national team. Think of how much fun that will be if they can, ha- if they have the right chemistry to do this and make it work. There is no reason, in my opinion, that that team can't win the gold medal. I know the Canadians are always good. I I honestly believe that the U.S. can put a better team together. Uh, the Swedes are always good. The Finns are always good. The Russians, if they can actually play in the Olympics this in 2026, they're always going to put together a good team. I don't think it's going to matter. I, I really, uh, truly believe 2026 is going to be the year the U.S. ends their gold medal drought. And I cannot wait to see that. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, it's about time for spring training. Baseball's right around the corner. We'll be right back here on WGE Sports Talk. To Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half of WGBB Sports Talk New York here on 1240 AM and 95.9 or wherever you might be listening. Maybe it's WGBBSportsTalk.com. Maybe it's on Spotify or iTunes or wherever. We want, we want you listening 
and you can you can hit up the show at WGBB Sports. You can hit up me personally at Andy underscore Sukop. I want to hear from all of you. And, of course, the phone lines are open right now, uh, 516-623-1240. We want to hear from you live. I'm I'm totally here for that. Uh, you know, right now, like, like I said at the opening of the show, February until March Madness is a little bit of a dark time in sports because there's really nothing going on. But all eyes converge on the states of Florida and Arizona. And that's not, not for politics, thankfully. It's for baseball. As spring training is underway, as all 30 teams have reported to their locales in Florida and Arizona for spring training to get ready for the 2024 season. Uh, you know, we're seeing some new faces in, or we're seeing some familiar faces in new places. We're seeing some, we're seeing some new, we're seeing some new faces starting to make their way through to their teams. Uh, there's still some big names that don't have homes yet. And we're now already in spring training. Players are starting to get ready. And guys like the reigning Cy Young Award winner, Blake Snell. World Series hero, Jordan Montgomery. And borderline MVP candidate, Cody Bellinger. Still looking for, still looking for contracts to play for the 2024 season. And you would think that players of their caliber would have already signed two months ago and would already know where they're going. Unfortunately, you know, when you're looking at somebody who's over 30 and wants a seven-year contract for $35 million a year and pitches like 150 innings a year, it's a little hard to justify that. I would, if I was a general manager, I don't think I would be giving him that kind of money. But you would think that somebody who is desperately in need of pitching would at least to be kicking the tires to see where they could, if they can make a move on this. And I, I, because it's not my money and, you know, it's totally fine, I would be very pleased if my team, New York Yankees, would sign one or two of those remaining big fish free agents, specifically the pitchers. Because after the Juan Soto trade, where they traded a lot of pitching, including Michael King, you know, they let Wandy Peralta go, they let Luis Severino go in free agency, the Yankees... Yankees pitching is a little bit of a question mark. Now they signed Marcus Stroman, but I don't know what Stroman's going to be. He pitched okay when he pitched with the Mets, but he's also got a little bit of a side to him where when he struggles, he he starts to shut down and lash out at people. Uh, you know, he's got a very strong presence on social media, which is well within his right, you know, I think it's great that he engaged with the fans. And but I think sometimes you got you have to kind of take into consideration you are playing under the brightest lights and if you struggle and you don't have a good game, you're going to hear about it in real time in your mentions. I can only imagine on days that he starts when he gets back into the clubhouse at the end of the game He's got to have several hundred notifications on his phone saying, oh, so-and-so mentioned you on X, so-and-so tagged you on Instagram. And, you know, when you when you have a bad game, you know, it just all pitchers do, you know, you're going to have a game where you throw three innings and give up six runs and nine hits and only strike out one and walk four. 
those games happen to every pitcher. And it's it's how you bounce back from it and how you respond to it. And if you're going to go out and when somebody says to you on Twitter, you know, you suck, and your response is to block them or, you know, complain about something inane, that's not going to gain you any fans. Right now, Stroman does have a little bit of a honeymoon period with the Yankee fans, especially because the games don't matter yet. But like we saw with Carlos Rodon last year, you know, he got hurt during spring training and missed a significant portion of the season. And then when he came back, he struggled. And when he was taken out of games, it seemed like he didn't care. And he he said that he went that he did care. But you know, you, you have to show it. And Yankee fans are notoriously fickle. You know, we want to see our team win the World Series every year, even though that's not a thing that can happen. We want it. You know, World Series or bust. That's been the Yankee way since the 70s. And that doesn't necessarily work in today's game because there is so much parity and there is so much talent distributed across the league. I mean, the Dodgers are doing their best to, you know, consolidate it all into Los Angeles, and they did a great job of that this offseason, uh, getting Tyler Glass now, signing Shohei Otani, signing Yoshinobu Yamamoto, which I, I'm still I'm still salty about that one. I really wanted the Yankees to pick him up, and I really thought the Yankees were going to pick him up. And then once Otani made the move to the Dodgers, it was that that was the end of that. So I would I would be very okay with Blake Snell coming into the Yankees or Jordan Montgomery. I actually would prefer Jordan Montgomery because he's already pitched in New York and we know he can do it. I I I don't know if I want somebody who goes doesn't really go six innings all that often. Uh that that kind of scares me that you know, he, he doesn't pitch into the seventh inning very often. But we've seen Jordan Montgomery do that, and he's already pitched decently enough here in New York to know that he's able to do it. So that that would be that would be my my choice. If they said we're signing Blake Snell, okay, I'm not going to be opposed to that. Uh, but that's the best part about spring training. We get to get excited about baseball. It's been three and a half months since the end of the World Series. Uh, it's been four and a half months since the Yankees played a meaningful game. Probably even longer because, you know, they, they were out of it by September. And, you know, they, they barely finished above 500. You know, there, there was talk of could Aaron Boone be removed as head, as manager? Uh, could Brian Cashman be removed as general manager? Both are back. And I, I think, the, I think the seats are a little hot under them this year. So, you know, Yankees go out, they, they trade for Juan Soto. Which I, I, I think is a good move. You know, you, you want to have a guy in, in your lineup who can do what Juan Soto does. Have him as protection for Aaron Judge. Because now you're looking at the top of the order where you could have potentially Verdugo leading off, Judge hitting second, Soto hitting third, and maybe Rizzo fourth. Or you do Stanton fourth when he's healthy. Like, the, like there, there's a lot of options out there that the Yankees can work with. To make that work, and I, I'm I'm in, I'm intrigued to see what Aaron Boone does with this lineup because there, there's a lot of good combinations. Like you got you got Glaber Torres in a contract year. It's going to be very motivated. 
I, I, I think he's going to be primed for a very big season because he's going to want to get paid. And, you know, putting him in the middle of the order, maybe you hit him fifth. Uh, instead of Stan, you move Stan down to sixth. Uh, you have Austin Wells catching, probably going to hit seventh. Uh, Volpe at the bottom of the order to turn things over uh, with DJ LeMahieu possibly. Uh, there, there's some, there's some interesting, there's some interesting ways that that can go about. But now's the time to kind of see where that's going to be. Uh, you know, we get to discuss what the teams did and didn't do in the offseason. You know, why, why didn't, why didn't my team sign this guy? Why did they trade for him? Uh, any new manager. So, like, for, for the Mets, where now it's going to be, uh, Carlos Mendoza, uh, managing the Mets this season. Uh, you know what? Like, what are what are the Mets' expectations for Mendoza in his first year as manager? Uh, we got to talk about the new jerseys from Fanatics by Nike that look terrible, and you know, it's, even if that's something that doesn't really need to be discussed because they're just jerseys, and eventually we'll get used to it. Just like we got used to the ads on the jerseys and the ads on the mounds and the the ads all over the place. That we'll we'll get used to it. We'll, we'll complain for two weeks, and then it'll be, eh, whatever. Uh, we get to talk about Rob Manfred finally retiring from the position of commissioner in 2029, and I just wish that said 2024 instead because that would have been so much better because nobody likes that guy. I, I never thought I'd live in a world where I would hate the baseball commissioner more than I hate the NHL commissioner. I, I like. Kind of like, you know, nobody likes Roger Goodell, but he's a very effective commissioner. He continues to grow the league in the NFL. You know, they're a $10, 12000000000 billion industry, which is great. Like, while MLB continues to grow in terms of revenue, you know, like fans are not always, haven't been really interested in some of the changes. Like when he did the seven-inning doubleheaders during the COVID season, the runner on second rule in the in the regular season. I still hate that rule. I think that is I think that is so dumb, and I, I don't know why that that's a thing that should have happened. And I, I hope the next commissioner, whoever he or she may be, I really hope they get rid of that rule because that's that's just not baseball. I understand why it's being done. You know, you want to speed up the game. You you want to you know keep things moving, and, and, and I get that, but. You know, that's the thing you do when you're playing wiffle ball in the backyard with your younger brother. You know, you you have your ghost runner because you're playing one-on-one and you can't be running the bases and also swinging the bat at the same time. But, you know, these are major leaguers. Like, you don't need to do that. Major leaguers should be capable of, of scratching out runs without having somebody already 180 feet of the way there. So I really hope the next commissioner gets rid of that role because I, I just I really hate that role. Uh, the DH thing I'm fine with. I, I know that's a that's a big one that people get up in arms about. I think that one's fine. Uh, you know that, that but that that's the best part about February for baseball. We get, we have to talk about all these things that are happening, and everybody's got a clean slate. You know, just because a team went. 79 and 83 last year doesn't mean that they're going to do that again this year. You know, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers went to the World Series. The Rangers win. You know, who knows what they're going to be this year. We're, we're, we're out there watching guys who were wearing, like, number 77 and number 91 
and being like, I have no idea who that is. We're probably going to forget his name in three days when he gets sent down to minor league camp. And maybe we'll see him again in September. And then you'll go, oh, yeah, like that guy. I, I remember reading about him in February when he went one for two in the game against the a game against the Astros in, you know, Vero Beach. Uh, so, obviously, you know, there are other there are other things that go on in the in spring training, like just getting everybody ramped up, ready to go, so that way, you know, you can hit the season running. And with that, I feel like this could be a make or break year for the Yankees. You know, they're, they're going in. They missed the playoffs last year. They trade for Juan Soto. Like I said, I, I think that the seat under Boone and Cashman probably getting a little bit warm. Uh, you know, not enough where they're going to jump up and be like, oh, you know, I'm on fire here. But, you know, it, it, you're certainly feeling it where you're a little uncomfortable and trying to find a better position. Uh, they trade for Juan Soto. Love that. Now they need, to, they need to convince him to stay. And look, he's going to go to free agency regardless. He's a Scott Boris client, and they all test free agency, which I respect because you know what? Like, see, see, see what your see what your value is. See what people are willing to pay you. And that's someone who's a, who's in the prime of his career. He's twenty five. He's going to get a thirteen year contract probably, and it's going to be worth big money. He's not going to get Otani money, but. I could see I could see a four hundred million dollar contract in his future. He's gonna want to have a big season so he can he can get that money. I'm I want to see him stay Yankee. I think he would be a very good Yankee, and that's gonna be something that that's gonna be storyline this entire season. Will Juan Soto stay? What are the Yankees doing to make sure that he stays? Are, are the fans going to give him hell when he has like an over 12 streak in the middle of July? And, you know, is that going to affect his decision? I really hope not because, you know, fans boo everywhere. Unfortunately, sometimes it's a little bit louder in New York, especially when things are going awry, which we saw quite a bit of last year. You know, last year's Yankee team was not fun to watch. If they weren't hitting home runs, they really weren't doing all that much. Uh, you know, their their team batting average was among the lowest. Uh, you know, because like, their pitching was really good. But you can't win if you don't score. And that was a problem. And Juan Soto will address that because he does create a lot of runs. He scores a lot of runs, drives a lot of runs in. But now, the pitching is a little bit questionable. You know, they let Luis Severino go in free agency. He was up and down last year. Okay, whatever, no big deal. They let Wandy Peralta walk in free agency. That one I'm not particularly happy about. He was a good left-handed relief pitcher who came up who came up for the Yankees in big moments. So I, I don't understand why they why they chose to not re-sign him. Uh, they trade a couple of pitchers to get Alex Verdugo. Okay, you know nothing that's gonna be you're gonna really cry about. They trade Michael King in the Soto deal. That one, you know, that one hurts a little bit, but you have to give value to get value. So now they, they've taken out like five or six pitchers that were contributors in, 
on last year's team. They signed Stroman, like we talked about. Uh, Rodon's coming back for year two. He has a ton to prove. He has to bounce back in a big way. And if he doesn't, that signing is going to go down as probably the worst signing of Brian Cashman's career. Worse than Carl Pavano. Worse than Jacoby Ellsbury. Worse than trading for Sonny Gray. Because of the, the sheer number of years and the amount of dollars that they gave Carlos Rodon last year, I believe it was seven years, $162 million, to get how badly he pitched last year, and if he continues to struggle this year, that's going to be a huge red flag. So he's going he's gonna to have to bounce back. And you, if you're a Yankee fan, you're really, really banking on that. Because if, if he bounces back, he's a good number two behind Garrett Cole. If he doesn't, it's going to get very ugly because they don't have they don't have the depth behind Garrett Cole to really make that work. You know, Nestor Cortez was coming off injury last year. I'm curious to see what he does this season. Uh, you know, he he was a he was a little bit up and down last year when he was pitching, and then he got hurt, and then you know he kind of quietly. Didn't really do much. So now we'll see. We'll see what he, if he can fill in as like a two or a three. Uh, Stroman, we spoke about. Uh, Clark Schmidt was better in the back in the second half of last season. Let's see if he can keep it going, because uh, the first half of last season was just atrocious. He was routinely not getting out of the third and fourth inning, and as the season went on, he kind of found his groove and got better at it. I, I, I want to see what he does this year. I, I'm I'm pretty bullish on him. I I, I think he'll be okay. I would I would have loved to have seen them sign Michael Waka for a one year deal as a, as you know an extra starter, uh, which they didn't. Which they wound up not doing. Uh, you know, there's still two big name pitchers out there, which we've spoken about. You know, hint hint, like they would be they would be good additions to this Yankee roster. Like maybe maybe you wanna maybe you wanna bring one of them in, but reality is they they needed all the work. Like they're 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 banking on a lot of really combustible situations working all together to make this team work so that way they they can win the World Series and even get there. I mean they haven't been there since 2009. They're going on 15 years without. They've lost in the ALCS quite a few times over the years, and you know Yankee fans are ready. The team itself is probably ready. The Steinbrenner family is ready. Cashman is definitely ready. He like he could he could use a World Series appearance, and that's just it's going to be an interesting season in the Bronx. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I want to see how this team does, and I'm going to do my best not to overreact in April when they're not hitting well because there's no purpose in doing that because that's just that that's just being a bad fan. And while we got like ten minutes left here, uh, I just want to I just want to touch on quickly. Uh, anybody who's listened to the show before knows I'm a big MMA guy. I've had quite a few MMA reporters and bands over the years come on do the show with me. Uh, last night in Anaheim, uh, UFC 298, really good card. If you 
if you got to watch it on ESPN Plus. Uh, main event, I, I was stunned at how that went down. Uh, Alex Volkanovski had been the champion for a couple years, was one of the most dominant featherweights in the division. Uh, you know, was get, was in the conversation of one of the greatest in the division. Probably was the greatest. Uh, gets knocked out last night by Ilya Tapuria, who is newcomer to the UFC in the last couple of years. Uh, blazed his way through the rankings. Uh, took his shot against Volkanovski last night and TKO'd him in the second round. I, I admit I did not see that coming. I, I, I was talking, I was talking about it with a friend of mine on Friday night and you know, we, we were talking about the bets we were putting on, you know, uh, are you going to, are you going to put on this one or are you going to do rounds on this one? And when I mentioned I was going to bet Volkanovski, he had said to me, like, that's a, that's a gutsy pick. Tuporia is, is different. And I, like, I had watched Tuporia fight, but knowing that Volkanovski is one of the best in the world, I said, you know what? I, while I agree, the champion gets the benefit of the doubt until he gives me a reason not to. Well, Ilya Tuporia gave me reason not to give Volk the benefit of the doubt anymore because he just dominated him in the second round, got that left hand, uh, dazed him, and then the right hand to finish the job. Puts him out, a couple extra shots, and new champion. I, I believe Tapuria can carry the, the USC featherweight division for a little while. You know, he's young, he's hungry. And he's going to get the rematch against Volkanovski. That's going to happen at some point, probably maybe like, you know, August, September. And that should be, a, that should be a lot of fun to watch. I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be a very interesting card whenever that one happens. Where we're going to see Tupuri get a lot of press coverage on this. Uh, as he's one of five active fighters that, uh, fight out of Spain. So that's, that's going to be big for the Spanish people. That you know, now now they have a, they have a champion of their own, and good on them. We're we're gonna see we're gonna see the UFC probably expand into other areas of Europe that haven't really gotten the exposure. Like now that now that this guy has won, uh, we we saw last night uh, Merrick Gallas Billy beat the uh, U.S. gold medal winner Henry Cejudo. Uh, Cejudo hadn't like he he came back last year after being off for a couple of years. Uh, you know, time time off really does impact your conditioning. It impacts how you, how you've worked over the last years or so. It, it, it would take time for Cejudo to get back to real, true, you know, triple C best in the world at what he did. Cejudo, I don't I don't think he's gonna get I don't think he's gonna get there at this point in his life. So while it really takes him out, and we might see him face Sean O'Malley at some point, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I I would be I would be here for that fight, even though I I would have liked to have seen Aljamain Sterling get his rematch first. Uh, but O'Malley's gonna be fighting Chido Vera in a couple of weeks, so he's got that. And then coming up in April, UFC 300. The UFC always goes big for the milestone cards. You know, UFC 100, UFC 200, and now 300. And this card is humongous in Las Vegas. 
the main event was finally announced last night, and it will be a light heavyweight championship fight between Alex Pereira, the champion, and Jamal Hill, who had to he had to vacate the championship, and Pereira then won it. So now Hill will get a chance to win it back. And I, I'm a big fan of Jamal Hill. I, I think he's a very good fighter, and I think he's got just as much a chance as anybody does against Pereira, who's a fantastic fighter in his own right. But what's fun about those milestone cards is that they they load them up. And I, I was I was looking at the card last night because I, I was very curious. I, cause I hadn't really seen who was going to be on it, especially because they hadn't announced the main event yet. I was like, I, I don't want to pass judgment on it uh, until I see who's the main event. But now that we have that, now I can kind of really say I'm a big fan of this one. Uh, they're... Zhang Wei Li is going to be fighting on that one in in the women's division. Uh, you have Aldermain Sterling fighting on the undercard. This is a guy who was a champion a year ago at this time. He was the Bantamweight champion. And now he's going to be on the undercard of one of the biggest cards of the year. And he's still ranked like one of the number, number one in the division other than the champion. Uh, Charles Oliveira is going to be on the card. He was a former champion. Uh... You have uh, Kayla Harrison fighting on that one. She she's a very popular fighter coming into the UFC. There's just so there's so many different there's so many different fights on there have, that have intrigue for so many different reasons that I cannot wait to see that card and to see how the fans in Vegas take to all that because you're you're talking about. Just the best of the best, and when they, when the UFC does it, they do it right. So you have, as an example, Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway in the lightweight division. Justin Gaethje is one of the craziest fighters I've ever seen. Like every fight of Justin Gaethje is an absolute banger, and Max Holloway, former featherweight champion, one of the, like one of the really good guys in MMA. So that that's going to be. That'll be fun. Uh, light heavyweight, which will be a title eliminator between Yuri Prohaska, a former champion, and Alexander Rakich. You just have so many, so many good, so many good fights here. Uh, Davidson Figueredo making his way up into Bantamweight to fight Cody Garbrandt, who was just a couple of years ago, you know, in the championship, in the championship picture. And then, of course, you got Jim Miller, who seems to fight like every six weeks because that man is just crazy. And I love, I love watching him. Like everybody should watch Jim Miller because, like, that's one of those guys that it's like, when when he's gone, you're gonna miss him because he's he's like your really like your lunch pail kind of guy. Shows up to work, puts on a good fight every time he's out there. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. He just he knows how to put on a good fight. And and a lot of those are all, you know, prelim- preliminary card and undercard fights. That's not even the main card, where you have, where you have two title fights and, and some title eliminators that are going to be are just going to be absolute bananas. And that's coming up in April. I can't wait for that. And if you're a fight fan, you should absolutely be excited for that too. That really does it for me here. I'm. I'm I'm out of things to talk about because you know if 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 you're into it and you haven't 
if you aren't watching now because you've just been listening to me, I appreciate it. But if you really do want to know, uh, in the NBA All-Star game with ten and a half minutes to go in the third, the Eastern Conference is beating the Western Conference 110 to 95. And that's because defense is optional in the NBA All-Star game, which makes an absolute farce, just like the slam dunk contest was last night. But big shout-out to Sabrina Ionescu in the, in the three-point contest. She held her own against Steph Curry. She's an awesome player. And, you know, when the WNBA season starts up soon, I highly recommend you watch her. That's going to do it for me. Well, want to, of course, shout-out my man Brian Graves behind the glass for putting everything together. want to thank all of you for listening. I'll be back again soon. Maybe. Uh, I'm Andy Tukov. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good night. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.